This morning, we are concluding a series on faith foundations, and as we've been talking these last two weeks, this is the third, we've said that whether it's the tallest building, the Burj Khalifa in Dubai, or the largest city in the United States, New York City, foundation is everything, because we build up from all that's underneath the ground. It's the building block on which everything stands. And if it's true for those man-made things, how much more so is it true for the church, the body of Christ, the temple, the body? And so we've talked about the holy nature of God because we want to get this right, foundationally speaking. His character traits, God's attributes. And we've said that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, all present, and these are God's incommunicable traits, his incommunicable attributes, and those things are things that we cannot relate to. They are completely God. They are what separate God from all the other idols of the world, lowercase g, gods that we set up in our own lives. And then there are communicable traits, things like love and kindness, mercy and grace. God is all of those things as well. And those are ways in which we're able to relate to God and understand they're things that we embody ourselves. That's why we can relate and understand those aspects of God. And these traits, incommunicable, communicable, they are fully present in God at all times. It's not like he turns it on, turns it off, sometimes more like this, sometimes more like that. God is all of these things, all present, all knowing, all love, and all of those traits serve and form all of the others in God's godness. That's who God is. Last week, we talked about the transaction of holiness. This morning, we're talking about God's holy people, but in this transaction of holiness, that's how we get from God's holy nature to God's holy people. We receive God's holy nature because of what happened in this transaction. The cross, Jesus died, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, and poured out his Holy Spirit. And so that's the other part of the transaction. He gave us his own presence. And that's how we get from here to here, God's holy nature to God's holy people. And that's what we're talking about this morning. And there are a few points I want to make as we talk about being God's holy people. And those are that we are a people of the promise. We are a people of the word. We are a people of the way. We are God's holy people. Did you ever wonder why God chose Abraham in the very beginning and why he chose Israel to be his holy people? Out of all the other nations, tribes, tongues that gather in the world today, why did he choose the Jewish people over the Egyptians? Why not the Shaw dynasty in China or the Incas in South America? God picked an unknown underdog and poured himself out and invited them to step into all that he had for them instead of a world superpower. He didn't choose Israel because they were numerous or more powerful. God doesn't play favorites. He chose them, started with Abraham, that they might bless the world. In the scripture that we read, Deuteronomy 7, it speaks to that. The Lord did not set his affections on you, 
and choose you because you are more than all the other peoples, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves. He loved you. God wanted to show them his love. And so he started with someone, something so small. How's that for an attribute? And we are a people of that promise. When God first called Abraham in Genesis 12, God made a covenant with him, made it clear that Abraham was blessed to be a blessing. And there were three parts of that covenant that God made with Abraham, three parts to that blessing. Number one, God promised offspring to Abraham to give him children. And ultimately, God was going to make him into a great nation from that bloodline. And that nation was Israel. God promised offspring to Abraham, promised to give Abraham a land, a place where God's people could call home. And that place is Israel. And that's why it's called the promised land. And then thirdly, God promised to bless all peoples on the earth, all nations of the earth. That's where we come into the picture through Abraham's line. And because of this covenant made back in the very beginning and the blessing came through the person and work of Jesus, we are a people of the promise. We are a people of the word and in particular, the word of God, Jesus being the word made flesh. He perfectly embodied the holy nature of God. He completely satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. In the Old Testament, there were 613 laws. You better get them all right. And some of them were hard. Some were impossible. Some are curious. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal, lie, or cheat. Don't mate two different kinds of animals. Don't sow two different kinds of seed in your field. Okay. The purpose of the law was to set Israel apart as a different nation, holy and different than all the others, holy unto the Lord, and that was the covenant God made with them. And as Christians, we are a part of a different covenant than the Jews were under. Dr. Timothy Tennant, president of Asbury Seminary, wrote, all of the Bible is God's word for us, but it is not all God's word to us. All of the Bible is God's word for us, but it is not all God's word to us. The Old Covenant, we know it as the Old Testament, belonged to the Jews, not to us. And that doesn't mean, it does mean still, all scripture is God-breathed, and it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness, but not all of it was written directly to us. There are things like, time that has elapsed and things like culture and context that we have to consider. And it's very much like that professional athlete who's under one contract making loads of money. And they start to rise and they restructure that contract and they make even more money. And there are incentives based on statistics, based on health, based on how far their team goes in the postseason. 
They're no longer under this contract. It's null and void. They are under a new contract. And that is the same with us. Jesus's life, death, and resurrection made the old covenant obsolete. We are under a new covenant. There is a distinction between the two. But the reality is Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, the old covenant. He came to fulfill it, and he did that. We are a people of the promise. We are a people of the word made flesh, and we are a people of the way of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus drilled down into what it means that he is the fulfillment of the law, and he reinterpreted the law in light of other people. And it might be better said, he rightly interpreted the law in light of other people. I say that because it had been manipulated to mean whatever the people wanted it to mean so that they could have whatever it is they wanted to have. Five different times in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, but I say to you, and he talked about murder and adultery. If you even look at a woman with lust in your eyes, you might as well have done the act of adultery. He talked about your word and your enemy, and the climax was a call to love, and not just those who love you, because anyone can do that. Love the unlovable. Love those who are hard to love. Love because that is godlike. Love because it's the only payment we can make to the only debt that still remains. What can we give to the one who has everything? What can we do for the one who has done everything? We live our lives in gratitude and we love him and we let his love flow through us to love others. We learn how to love really well. That's what it means to be a people of the way. Sometimes we think the consequences of the law are so harsh and maybe they are. But in truth, it says more about what we think than what God thinks. We want to create God in our image. We want him to be safe. We want him to keep quiet. We want him to stay out of our lives until we need him to do something for us. But God is sovereign and he is deeply personal. He is loving and he is at the same time full of justice. He is all powerful, all present, and he is right here, right now. Dr. Tim Tennant said, the law may seem harsh to us at times, but God knew that it was the necessary tutor to teach us what we needed to know about his opposition to sin and the necessary measures that were required to forge a people separated unto himself in holiness. The law is insufficient to save us, but it is crucial to pointing us to Jesus, who, when the time was right, stepped down out of heaven. In his person, Jesus gave God a face and a name. He ate and slept. He preached and healed and performed many miracles. Jesus lived and he brought, died a brutal death taking on your punishment and mine, but death couldn't keep him down and hell couldn't hold him back. On the third day, he got up Jesus was raised from the dead. 
He ascended into heaven and he went from being someone on the outside of us. We're just pals. Hey, buddy. To the one who lives inside of those who claim his name. Those who believe and realize their need, repent of their sin, and receive salvation. His presence, salvation to the uttermost. This is God's gift offered to all. It is especially offered to those in earshot right here, right now. And it's ours for the taking that we might receive everything he has for us. And when we do, if we do, it changes everything. It changes everything. We are a people of the promise. We are a people of the word. We are a people of the way. And here's some really good news. We are God's holy people. A people marked by the transformed life, a heart set on fire by the holy love of God. We're marked by the presence of God. If you are a member of this church, if you're a part of this Wesleyan tribe, you know our roots go all the way back to John Wesley, who is the founder of the Methodist movement that we're a part of. He lived in the 18th century, and he was the son of an Anglican priest, himself was an Anglican priest, having studied at Oxford University. He spent a better part of 35 years of his life trying to win God's love, win God's grace, win salvation. And in that context, he came to the Americas as a missionary and he failed miserably in every single way. I'm talking ministry impact. I'm talking love, you name it, awful. And so he went back to London and he's finding himself on May 24th, 1738, at a small group meeting off of a street called Aldersgate. And there at Aldersgate, while someone was reading a boring commentary to the book of Romans, John Wesley was awakened. I love that story because I think it puts preaching in its proper perspective. It's a part of transformation, but it's not the point. God woke John Wesley up through the reading of this commentary. And in his journal, he wrote these words. About a quarter before nine, while the reader was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed, felt I did trust in Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins even mine, and saved me from the law and of sin and death. Up until that point in time, trust had been a struggle. Assurance was absent. The love of God was a misnomer. But on that evening, John Wesley was saved to the uttermost. It was the beginning, and that was Aldersgate. But it gets better because later that same year, New Year's Eve, 1738, he was at another society meeting, probably some more boring reading that turned into a prayer service, a watch night to watch the new year come in. And at three in the morning, the spirit fell and John Wesley had his Fetter Lane experience in his journal of that he wrote, on Monday morning, January 1, 1739, Mr. Hall and my brother Charles were present at our love feast in Fetter Lane with about 60 of our brethren. 
At about three in the morning, as we were continuing an instant prayer, the power of God came mightily among us, insomuch that many cried out for exceeding joy, and many fell to the ground. As soon as we were recovered a little from that awe and amazement at the presence of his majesty, we broke out with one voice, we praise thee, O God, we acknowledge thee to be the Lord." John Wesley believed in sanctification as a doctrine. But very early in the morning on New Year's Day, 1739, he experienced it. And that was a new chapter in his journey. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was sanctified and his whole life was reoriented, reordered around the person and work of Jesus oriented to him, and he walked in his ways all the rest of his life. That's his Fetter Lane experience. And a lot of times we talk about the process of being saved, and we think about all those things that led up to that, but salvation is not one moment in time. It is moments in time that happen continuously again and again And that's the process of sanctification that we are all on, a journey to be transformed into the image of Christ. It all begins with salvation. Does it mean that we are perfect? No. Does it mean that we will ever sin again or never sin again? No, it does not. But it does mean that sin is no longer our secret lover. It is our permanent enemy. And we position ourselves for that war and we beat it down because God has given us the victory. Just like that, we are saved, we are sanctified, our whole life, body, soul, spirit, reoriented towards the one true God, apostolic, he sends us all. Universal, his heart is for the world and that's why he sends us. And we know him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, beautifully holy one. Dr. Robert Coleman taught at Asbury Seminary for 27 years, and he told the story about being out in the yard one day working. It was just as hot as these days we find ourselves in, and he was pouring sweat off of his body. One of his children saw him from the window and they dragged the stool up to the kitchen sink, climbed up onto the top of it, found a dirty glass in the sink and filled it with warm water. And they took it outside to their dad who saw the chunks floating around in it and drank it because it was brought with holy love. That's sanctification. That's the salvation journey that we are on. Not perfect, but reoriented towards the love of a heavenly father who's done everything to make it so for us to be in that relationship of love and intimacy. And not just be, but to participate in it. Here's what I know. We have to have an Aldersgate experience. And we have to have a Fetter Lane experience. And those experiences happen over and over until we've arrived. 
And it's not lost on me that at Aldersgate, we see the cross where it clicked for John Wesley. And at Fetter Lane, we see the Holy Spirit. And there is that transaction of holiness that makes us the people of God. Let me remind you, you are a people of the way. We are. And it is the way of love. It's loving the unlovable, which is hard to do. And some of those unlovables are inside this church. And we still love because that's our greatest witness to the world. The unity that we know, the love that we have as a people of the way. We are a people of the word. The word made flesh, the body of Christ. We are his presence in this world. And as his presence, we gather and we scatter. And the lungs inhale and they exhale and the heart constricts and it relaxes. We are a living, breathing organism. And of the body, Jesus said, because you believe, greater things will you do because I'm going to the Father. And we receive everything we need to make the impact that God is calling us to make. We are a people of the promise. We are blessed to be a blessing. And that is so much more than writing a check. It's so much more than doing those good deeds and patting ourselves on the back. It is scattering. It is entering into the life of another. It is looking into their eyes and knowing their name, seeing their face, and then returning and returning. Because it's not just a checkbox. It's a relationship that we are a part of, that Christ has invited us into being his people, the holy people of God. That's who you are. And God is driving this whole ship. And he gives us just so much as we need to take the next step. And all he asks of us is to be faithful. I want to give you an opportunity to respond this morning. Maybe you need Aldersgate. Maybe you need Fetter Lane. Maybe you need to be reminded, I see you, I know you, I love you. And I've got this. Let's go be the body of Christ. Let's be the holy people of God. That's who you are. That's who we are. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you and we trust you. And we want so much more of you in our lives and in this church. We thank you for calling us to this moment in time. But we thank you for all of the moments. And so wake us up, God, that we might journey together and pursue holiness in the context of community, that we might gather and scatter and be faithful in the living of all of life. Help us. Have mercy on us. 
and hear us as we pray. Come Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.